Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, the podcast where we talk about games we've been gaming and TV show and movies that we have been watching. Uh, I am Aaron. I'm James. Uh, And today we are going to talk about a film from Studio Ghibli, the Japanese company known for things like Spirited Away uh, and Princess Mononoke. Uh, We're going to talk about a lesser known film of theirs called Poco, Poco, Porco, Poco Rosso, Porco Rosso. Yes. Or as I keep wanting to say, Porco, Porco Del Rosso, which is, does not make sense. Um, It sounds like a great restaurant. I would, I would eat there. I would eat there, uh, especially if they only served pig. Yeah, which I mean, they would have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is exciting. Um, I'm kind of glad that we decided to tackle a lesser-known Ghibli before we did a more-known Ghibli. Yeah, and I, I definitely don't think this is as good as, say, Spirited Away or Princess Mononoke or um, some of their other kind of big-name films. Uh, but I definitely think it's charming. I think it's fun, um, and I think it's worth talking about. Definitely, and we will talk about. Maybe Ghibli tiers. You know, I, I like to rank things. I not I don't necessarily have a specific ranking, but I guess what I'll say is that in re-watching this, this movie is in my Ghibli A tier now. Not my S tier, but my A tier. Okay, so now we have a tier system that includes S and I'm assuming you down to E. Uh or F. I mean, I you know, I've got maybe one or two that I'd put or just one that I would put in like E tier. Okay, but I think we could agree that even an E-tier Ghibli film uh, beats most modern, uh, or actually any releases. Not beats, but at least is comparable to. Um, yeah. Ghibli, yeah. Ghibli has a charm. Ghibli has a style. Ghibli has like a beauty uh, to their films that I don't really think another animation studio has been able to capture. Uh, maybe Disney in some of their films, but uh, they just kind of own it in terms of 2D yeah. animation. There's something there's something different it's and magical is such a dramatic term but I really kind of believe it to be true that there's something magical and something present in Ghibli movies that as someone who grew up primarily in the Disney space I just think is a little bit absent from Disney and sorry not like you know they're not devoid of it it's just a different kind of like whimsy and fantasy that I just wasn't exposed to until I was maybe older. I mean, I saw Ghibli movies when I was younger, but not many. Um, and many of them, including this one, are ones that I, that had eluded me for a while. I agree. Uh, and I was thinking a lot about how to like quantify that, how to put that into words. And I think I've kind of figured out where that magic comes from, at least for me. Okay. Uh, but we can talk about that when we talk about the film. Yeah. Um, but tell us, uh, how did we get here? Oh, we got here uh, from the incredible director, Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, This was a movie that was based on his 15-page manga. And yeah, which is interesting. Um, And, you know, you had commented to me about this movie sometimes seeming a little, maybe, I don't know, all over the place. Is that how you put it? Yeah, well, and also it's important to note that it's 15 pages of a larger manga. Uh, There's 15 pages that focus on the character Porco Rosso. Right. And I, and, but I couldn't help but wonder if maybe like the expansion of this into something larger was, I'm not saying that not a lot of care was put into it because I'm sure a lot was, but I, 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 I'll talk more about this later. I, I, I kind of agree that it is all over the place sometimes, but I think it just owns that and doesn't care. It's, it's just having so much fun. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think there's something to the world. Um, and we get when we get to talk about what works, I'll kind of expand on that. But yep. I think that uh, there was something lost in the theming of the film versus okay. the manga. Uh, and in the character of Porco, Ro- Porco Rosso, I keep wanting to say Porco Rosso, and he's not a little red. <laughs> just he's a, a little just pink. Porco Rosso, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, this was originally planned as a short film for Japan Airlines, but grew into a feature length. Um, and you know, other than that, there was not a whole lot that I wrote down in terms of you know the development of this. I mean, there, there's a huge, you know, it, Miyazaki has a love for a lot of things and airplanes and flying is one of them and i didn't i don't really know nearly enough about um aerospace engineering or or planes or the history of either of those things to really comment on this but there's a there was a lot of that a lot of research done in that area and a lot of knowledge brought by miyazaki and his team to this movie and later to the ghibli movie the wind rises um that i mean i'm just it was way over my head so i didn't really feel equipped to talk about that yeah i mean just watching it you can tell that obviously this is a person who or a team who truly love airplanes and flight and the sensation of flying um and they capture that uh to a really great degree i think to maybe a too realistic degree um but that feeling is definitely captured there um planes are a big highlight here if you're a big uh plane vehicle gearhead person and find vehicles beautiful, which some people definitely do. Uh, There's a lot to like. Um, And again, I'm not an expert either, but everything I saw uh, looked, even some of the more fantastical plane elements looked fairly true to life in terms of how things would fly and move and how things would work. Um, So in that sense, I think they did a great job. Um, Yeah. And and I think it says something when you can make me at least somewhat interested in something that I'm not normally interested in. You know, I, I personally do not have much care or fascination, uh, care for or fascination in airplanes and flying. Um, I think it's, or I think it's cool, I guess, that we are able to go, you know, into the sky, (laughs) into the moon and wherever, but I, I just, it's never been a massive interest for me. And it, this movie doesn't make it make me more interested in it, but I do I am really like, I I like the designs of the planes. I like seeing how they fly. I like seeing how a plane takes off. I liked seeing the construction of the plane. I thought that was really cool. I agree. Um, I will go though less with seeing it because I got kind of bored seeing planes fly and I got bored kind of seeing broad spanses of blue ocean. Uh, But I did really appreciate the the way they captured like the feeling, like the exhilaration, the movement, uh, which is hard to do. But I think I, I never really got tired when they showed scenes showing the the effect of movement on the characters while they're flying, that always remained a highlight to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I'm not really sure about how it was critically received in Japan. Uh, I think most Ghibli was, or at least older Ghibli, it was pretty well received. I know in the U.S. it was liked, um, and maybe not right away, but at least you know, in you, know, you talk to critics now, I'd say a lot of them call it underrated. Yeah, I when I kind of looked at things up, I, I saw uh, reviews saying it's underrated. Uh, I also saw a review that said, like, it's the most feminist of all Ghibli movies. And I'm like, oh, I, okay. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that. But yeah, 
Um, yeah, I think most people like it. Um, Ghibli has some not black eyes, but some not great movies on their record uh, in terms of Ghibli. Uh, and I, mm. I don't think this is one of them. I think this is one that people who've seen it generally like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'd be curious to hear the reasoning behind those sources and why they think it's the most feminist. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's kind of all I had for, for the development of the movie. I mean, I guess it's worth noting that the music is always is by, I'm going to hopefully not mispronounce the name, but Joe Hisaishi uh who just fantastic composer yeah yeah i mean it's beautiful uh i don't think there's anything quite as memorable or hummable uh as things like uh, i would agree with that princess mononoke uh which is a really strong it has a couple of really strong themes but definitely beautiful every time there was a long shot of poco rosso porco porco rosso uh flying through the clouds uh the music was almost always beautiful um and one thing ghibli really really excels at is having these kind of quiet moment quiet beautiful moments with beautiful music i'm glad you mentioned that um i could not agree more um you know so aaron uh when did you first experience this movie um yesterday last night in fact how was it Uh, Well, okay. So I I knew this movie existed. Uh, I think there was some Disney movie that I got on DVD or Blu-ray around the time that Disney had acquired the rights to dub uh, a lot of Ghibli movies. Mm -hmm. And they, some had been dubbed in English, but they redubbed a lot of them, not all of them. Um, But I remember seeing previews for like, oh, this new Ghibli collection by Disney. And I remember Porco Rosso being one of them and just briefly saying like, oh, it's a pig. It's a pilot. That's cute. And thinking like, you know, I I bet it's good, but it it doesn't appeal to me because, you know, I don't love pigs except to eat them. I'm not into planes except to fly in them to get places I like. Um, So I I was aware of its existence, but I had put it definitely on the back burner and or forgotten about it. And then you suggested it and um, I watched it. I really liked it. Um, I watched it with my fiance uh, and when we were done, um, Edgar kind of turned to me and I was like, so what did you think? And he just said, that was really cute. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I agree. I think it's really cute. Um, it's like this weird intersection of being for kids, but also being for adults. Uh, there are things that are pretty kiddy that still appeal to me as an adult, but there are things in it that I thought were pretty adults. And I was wondering like, would a kid find this engaging or interesting? And I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think I've kind of lost touch with that part of myself. So it would have been fun to watch this with my like nieces and nephew. Um, but I, I liked it. I, I did. There are parts of it that didn't appeal to me personally as much, but I still think the movie is worth seeing. I think it's great. Uh, I think most Ghibli stuff is great. I still haven't seen the new CG one that I hear is kind of a kind I hear of it's a train wreck tra- ah, train wreck yeah we can maybe one day watch that but other you know other than that I think it has that Ghibli charm I love the characters I love the voice acting I watched it in English you can watch it obviously in the native Japanese um, or the Disney uh, English there is a version uh, in like another English dub that's the like Japan Airlines dub which mm-hmm. I I don't know how you would get a hold of I'm sure the internet but uh, the two main sources you can kind of engage with are the original Japanese and the Disney dub. Um, Yeah, I I really liked it. I thought it was very cute. I thought it was very charming. I thought it was kind of a throwback to older films. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I I did think that there were kind of some thematic elements that were a little haphazard and all over the place. 
And I think that may be a function of translating a 15 page manga, like almost a one shot exactly, uh, to a feature film. I think there were some things kind of lost or muddled with Porco's character uh, and some of the other characters, but um, that's my take that we will get into. What did you, uh, or rather, when did you first experience this film? So I think I, I'm getting happier and happier about this pick uh, as, as, time is going on right now because I would say that my, my experience with it was also relatively new. I think I watched it in January this year and I, it's, it's, I pretty much want to echo everything that you said leading up to your first time watching is exactly my experience up to my first time watching it. So I won't repeat all of it, but you know, it was something that I was aware of for a long time. It was something that I just didn't think it didn't appeal to me for a while. Like it wasn't, it got, I had to get to a point where I was rewatching old Ghibli movies, which I also should credit my fiance for getting me back into that. Um, but then also, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. It's like, I, I'm enjoying these movies so much or so much more than I used to. Um, and, and I enjoyed them, you know, the ones that this, the few I had seen back then, like Spirited Away, like I always enjoyed that, but I was kind of getting a whole new appreciation for them. And so I thought, you know, why wouldn't I, check out at all of these that especially the ones that kind of came out in you know the earlier ghibli era rather than maybe you know the 2000s um and yeah i i felt pretty much the exact same way that you felt the first time i watched it and i you know there were maybe you know too many shots of you know ocean and such it, it felt like the movie was kind of keeping me at a distance um it may, that was probably not, you know, an intentional thing. Just, it's just a, my lack of interest in planes. And I don't know, maybe if it was the mood I was in and such, but like all Ghibli movies that I've revisited and I revisited it, re revisited it two days ago for this podcast. I, I loved it. Uh, I loved it more than the first time I watched it. I was less bothered by any of the things that I was bothered by the first time. I didn't feel like the movie was keeping me at a distance. I, I felt like it was kind of inviting me to just kind of experience a glimpse in the life of this character and this time of, I mean, it's a historical fiction, of course. And, you know, it just, it was inviting me to, to, to have a glimpse in this place and, you know, the life of these, these characters. I mean, we don't really see that much of them. Um, and there's really not a whole lot in terms of plot, but I just, I just felt very kind of at peace and happy watching this movie, which is something that most Ghibli achieves, but it's, it's certainly more reserved and more fun and playful than some of the other Ghibli movies, including Ghibli movies that I like more than this, like Princess Mononoke. Yeah. I, I like that. You kind of mentioned that you felt uh, like at peace. It's a, it's a leisurely film, which yes. I feel like a lot of Ghibli movies are. Um, I think we're trained when we see movies now to have the plot and the action constantly driving and moving forward. And this movie is sort of fine to sit back and those things are present, but it gives the characters and the audience kind of time to just leisurely observe what's going on. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't think there is a better example of a movie like that than my neighbor Tortoro. Totoro. Um, that is like the ultimate just, Hey, we're just gonna chill for a little bit. And I remember when I first saw it. Well, I, I get 
it's something that if, if I had seen it when I was really, 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 really young, I probably wouldn't have cared. I think there's probably a time in my life, maybe like when I was in college or something that I would have been like, I don't have time to, to just chill with this fantasy. Where's the plot, you know, but I, I don't feel that way anymore. Um, I'm just kind of willing to embrace all of this kind of Ghibli era. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know how much of that is a function of the film or a function of the time when it came out because yeah. Porco Rosso was 92, I think, or maybe even earlier. Yeah. 92. Yeah. And I feel like, and again, it came out in Japan, not America. I wonder how much that affects it because I think now movies are very, as I said, like very plot driven, very driving you to the next major plot point. There's a very pretty clear structure to most films. Um, and I think Ghibli generally issues that. And, uh, you know, if, if we had, if Porco Rosso was brand new in 2021, I wonder if it would have the same reputation as 1992. Um, I think maybe people were more open to slower, uh, more leisurely films like that yeah. back then. Um, so who knows? I think that may be why uh, a second viewing would make my appreciation, appreciation for it increase. Uh, because since I already know kind of the major plot points, I can kind of sit back without wondering what's going to happen next and more appreciate what's happening on the screen in front of me. And I think that's exactly the experience I had. And I should also note that I watched it in English the first time I watched it and I watched it in Japanese this time. So, and I, I have some, some important things to mention, uh, some, some differences uh, that I've spotted and then a couple differences that my fiance spotted and it's kind of goes to your point about a movie that it has some more adult factors in it. There are a couple things um, in the Japanese dialogue that I do not believe were present in the English dub uh, that were definitely more adult. I have some like suspicions about what those may be about, but um, why right. don't you tell us what this movie is about? All right. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll maybe introduce the setting um, because it's, you know, it's worth noting that this is a movie that takes place in Pearl's ah, post-World War One 1930s during the rise of fascism in Italy. But it takes place kind of, I mean, mostly in Milan and other parts of the Adriatic Sea, uh, which is the sea between the coast of Italy and the uh, west coast, the east coast of Italy and the west coast of the likes of Croatia, Albania, and Montenegro. Yeah, which I embarrassingly had to look up because I was like, don't they mean the Mediterranean? I thought the Adriatic Sea was like near the North Pole. It's not. <laughs> it's uh, it's just on the other side of Italy, on the other side of the boot. I, I had to look that up too when I first watched this movie. I, I, I don't know if I had an idea where the Adriatic Sea was. I, I assumed maybe it was just like a section of the Mediterranean, which I guess it is. Um, but I was confused when they kept saying that because I was pretty sure that it looked like the Mediterranean. It's like the um, Italian Riviera, kind of. Sure. And I believe that there, <laughs> I believe there is like a depression going on too. Um, at one point, one of the characters says that his sons had to leave Italy to find work elsewhere. And so I'm not, I don't know much about my history of Europe, at least not anymore. I used to be more into that. Um, but yeah, post-World War I, rise of fascism. Uh, and, and our, you know, our lead character is a former human now cursed to be a pig porco rosso or crimson pig whose real name is lieutenant marco pagot pagot or pago i pago? Yeah, i don't know i have no experience with the italian language i don't so either but I'm sure. i think his name is marco Rossell, rosolini in the dub which makes sense because of rosso yeah 
And I think the Pago or Pagat is an homage to some Italian animators. I saw that yeah. on the wiki. Yeah. There was another homage to Ghibli that we'll get to that I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to hear about that. I'm not sure yeah. I know exactly what you're referring to. How could you miss it? But yeah. come on. I mean, so, you know, should we talk about like this, the cast? I mean, there's not many people before, or at least like the main characters before we get into the plot. Or do you, should we just kind of do that together? Yeah. I mean, I would say this movie is about the characters. So why don't we talk about them first? Because the plot, it really in my mind, only serves to kind of highlight them. Uh, like, I think this is much more a character-driven film than a plot-driven film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the characters first. We can talk about the voice actors and the performances. Sure. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Porco Rosso used to be human. Um, I think we get a hint that someone's cast a spell on him. Um, but, and I don't know how you felt about this. And I, I really liked it the first time and the second time. This is really downplayed. And I love that. I don't care how he became a pig. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So uh, they there's like one brief mention, uh, Gina, uh, the kind of one of the love interests, I suppose, uh, mentions briefly that, oh, you know, when are you going to lift this curse? Um, and that's really the only reference we get to the fact that he's a pig, besides him saying what a pig he is, uh, for pretty mm -hmm. much most of the film. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of watching the whole time expecting there to be some really great thematic curse or reason he became a pig. And then you find out how and why. And you're like, that's weird. Yeah. Um, I was kind of almost for the first, I think, 20 minutes before that was brought up. I was expecting them just to never explain it. And I would have been fine with that. Yeah, I mean, they kind of don't really explain it. I mean, there's no like moments in this movie where like he does something redeeming and then it lifts the curse. And I'm really glad that it doesn't have that. I mean, but that's it, what it, Disney would have done. But it, but it does though. Really? Yeah. Nah. I, I, it's, I just found it really fascinating that they're like, oh yeah, and also he's a pig, and that doesn't really come into play too much. Well, and that can be where we kind of get into the manga versus the film. Like, I think the manga that was the intention, like, oh, it's just a pig. And I confess I haven't read the manga, Same. but it's only 15 pages. So I, I can't imagine they delve into the backstory all that much. Yeah. But I think in translating that, like, they felt the need to explain why he's a pig. Whereas the manga felt comfortable to just have him be a pig pilot, which is fine. Um, and I think that's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't quite translate very well mm -hmm. um i think they should have just had him be a pig and not talked about it or not like explained it um when we get to the plot summary and they go into why he's a pig you're sure. like okay but porco rosso um as you mentioned formerly a pilot as far as his character he's a fairly like lonely hedonistic self-loathing womanizing drinker uh yeah. type he's almost an archetype of like the roguish pilot who doesn't need anyone to help him yep um uh which is good uh and i think i watched the english version um and he was voiced by michael keaton what'd you think and of that i think watching this i realized that i like michael keaton's voice much more than i like any other aspect of any of his performances <laughs> i because, do like his voice yeah because i thought his voice was delightful uh and fit the character very well i thought his performance was excellent he just had this very gruff dry kind of monotone to him mm -hmm. that worked with what the character was going for 
And you know, when I watched it the first time, I wasn't a fan of that. I like Michael Keaton's voice in general, but I thought that his, his performance was too quiet. And I mean, it was gruff and, and you can tell he, you know, he was damaged. And for some reason that just felt like the wrong choice to me. Not that I wanted him to be this like crazy upbeat character. I'm not really sure what I wanted. I just had a feeling that it didn't work for me. And then when I watched the Japanese version, which had a similarly gruff, maybe slightly louder, um, older Japanese gentleman do the voice acting. It was pretty much the same, and I enjoyed it a lot. So I have a feeling when I go back and watch the English one again, I'm going to like the Michael Keaton performance more. I feel like a less restrained dub would have had him do more of like a, like, ah, I'm a pig, like a little louder, more bombastic. I'm really uh, glad that doesn't exist. Yes, yes. But I feel like a less restrained dub may have gone that direction, but that's... That's really not his character. Later when we talk about the plot, like I don't really know why he's a pig or why he has these characteristics. Yeah. Some of them we'll talk about it again. I think it's that like weird, like translation issue from the manga to the film. I think in the manga, it's just cute that he's a pig bounty hunter. who's flying a plane. Mm -hmm. I think when they try and kind of delve into that as part of his character in the film, I'm like, uh, I don't really know that that fully works, but I still like him as a character. I like Michael Keaton's performance. Um, I think he's interesting. He is always capable. Um, one of the things I particularly like, uh, you can't really talk about him without talking about his plane. Yep. Um, and I like that they have a very kind of um, Spider-Man comics uh, relationship where one of my favorite parts about Spider-Man uh, or any superhero uh, when something goes wrong or something doesn't work and they kind of have to adapt and figure it out. Like I love in Spider-Man comics when he tries to shoot a web and it's like, oh, my web, my web jammer, or I'm sorry, my web shooter is jammed. And they haven't really done that in Spider-Man films, but it's kind of part of his character in the comics. Um, like he, things get messed up for him. Uh, he has malfunctions and he has to adapt on the fly. Um, and anytime a superhero or a hero is like kind of vulnerable like that for kind of a random mechanical reason, for some reason it resonates with me. I like it because as a human being, I constantly get screwed up by minor mechanical things. Um, and so Porco has to deal with that kind of for the first third of the movie. His plane is great, but it's not perfect. And he has to kind of compensate in the moment, uh, and fix problems. Uh, and I really like that. It made it very charming. It made it very kind of human, um, even though he's a pig, but uh, I, and it showed the relationship he has with his plane. Yeah, and 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 you talking about that that kind of makes me think about comparisons to the character of Spike Spiegel in Cowboy Bebop, which I won't say too much about since. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 in the ballpark. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's like a self-imposed um, loneliness, sort of. You know, like is gets into trouble a lot. Like Spike gets shot. Like half the episodes and has to recover. I mean, his ship gets wrecked all the time. It's that I didn't even think about that till now, but I, maybe that's another reason why I like the character so much. Cause I really like the character of spike. Yeah. But um, what, are, what are some of the other characters that we meet? So we've got Gina. Uh, she is a singer at the whole, or by the way, we're going to hold off on some aspects of these characters, I think, cause they come, they factor more into the plot and they're probably better revealed like, along the plot, you know, later in the movie when they talk about a little bit more of the backstory between Porco and Gina, I won't go into too much of that right now. Um, but she's a singer at the Hotel Adriano, which she uh, owns, I, I guess. Think, yeah, I think she owns it. Um, she's a hit with all the pilots and pirates of the of the Adriatic Sea. Um, 
she has a past with Porco that we learn more about as the movie progresses. We also learn pretty early that she has had a couple dead husbands. Three. Uh, who all, three yeah. who, are, who are all pilots. Um, uh, she yeah. is quick to move on. She, yeah, she is quick to move on. But she, is a, I, she doesn't give me the impression. Um, it, it's interesting. And, and I, I was going to save this for later, and I, I'll save most of it for later. But there's a, there's an, a fun contrast between her and and porco and you know it's nothing like super subtle um but it's a just to put it like simply she's someone who deals with loss and grief by moving on and porco as we find is kind of someone who just kind of digs a little bit deeper into their self-isolation yes um i don't know off the top of my head the name of the voice actress but uh she does an excellent job um and she sings in french yes Um, um, I, the name escapes me right now too. And I think my fiance would be furious at me for forgetting because she was very quick to remind me it's, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to get it. I'm not going to take, uh, Susan Egan, Susan Egan. She, she is the voice of Megra in yes. Hercules. Yes. yes. Um, I will hopefully will never forget that again. Um, yeah. And then, so then we've got, uh, Donald Curtis, who is an American pilot who is in love with Gina as everyone is and seems to, I mean, is he a, he's a, he's a pirate who's trying to make a name for himself really. Well, his character is also kind of confused. He, which I think plays into uh, they are kind of down on America in this film a bit play to comedic effect most of the time, which I appreciated. Um, But yeah, he's like an American like actor slash socialite slash Southern dandy slash pilot slash pirate in the Adriatic, I guess. And because it was the 1930s, it was the kind of era where you could go be a pirate on the other side of the world and come back to America and face no consequences. And then be be an actor and then be a president. So Ronald Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Yeah, he's yeah, he's a bit he's very bombastic um i think i didn't like him at first um but i think by the end i found him like befuddled and sort of charming yeah he you know he wants to be famous um and i think one way he thinks that he's going to be able to do that is to shoot down porco because he doesn't porco is envied by a lot of the people in the adriatic sea yeah, he just seems like the kind of person that has way too much money and no, like nothing to do with his time. And yeah. so you just get the impression that he came to the Adriatic Sea to be a pirate because he was bored and had nothing else to do. Right. Um, I guess the, the only two other characters I had written down were like the gang of pirates, the Mama Ayuto, which I'm pretty sure is Italian for help mom or mom help, which is... I don't know if that was intentional or if maybe my translation is incorrect. Yeah. And I mean, we can talk about the, about the pirates generally. Um, yeah. There's several different bands of pirates uh, in this. The Mama Ayuto gets the most screen time, but there's kind of an alliance of sky pirates or yeah. seaplane pirates. Uh, and very charmingly, every crew of pirates, they all look alike. <laughs> they do. I really like it. It's a, What's that toy where you kind of like move the uh, use the magnet to move the the stuff to make oh, a, a beard and a yeah. mustache? It's like Burly Billy or something. Yeah, they all look like that. Yeah, the Mama Ayuto gang. Every gang kind of has their own look, uh, but the Mama Ayuto gang are all very like scruffy, brown bearded men, like big yeah. burly guys. Yes, uh, which I think is kind of a similar design for some of the pirate henchmen in Castle in the Sky as well. 
Yes. And uh, the, the main one is voiced by, I had to look it up because normally I'm good about this. And I'm like, they wouldn't waste Brad Garrett on this. And it was Brad Garrett. <laughs> they did. They wasted him. Yeah. Yeah. Although I really like that character, even though he's not really given anything to do. He, yeah, he's kind of funny. A lot of these characters really aren't given any anything meaningful to do, but yeah, I still I still like them. Um, and then the last two characters I have written down, which we could probably talk about more in the context of the plot, is uh, Mister Piccolo or Piccolo. I want to say Piccolo because of Dragon Ball Z and his daughter Fio. Yes, uh, Mister Piccolo is the owner of a a uh, plane building and repairing shop, I guess. Yeah. They're mechanics. Um, they're mechanics and his daughter, or I'm sorry, granddaughter Fio uh, from America. Oh yeah. Uh, which is kind of pointless because I guess she doesn't have an accent, but neither does Porco, but doesn't matter. Whatever. Um, she is the young plucky genius engineer. Yeah. And you made a comment earlier about uh, potential two love interests. And I want to talk about that when we get to it. Um, essentially, it's, I guess, maybe implied that Porco is interested romantically in Fio, which is not an impression that I got, despite some flirtation, I guess you could call it. Well, and that's something I was wondering if the Japanese version, like, leaned more heavily into. Because in the version I watched, it seemed very much that Fio had kind of a girlish crush on Porco. And yeah. the grandfather made comments about how Porco might be into her. But even Porco was like, yeah, no, she's a kid. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, it's a little bit less like that in the Japanese one, but maybe I just kind of carried over what I felt in the English one and also what I wanted, which was for Porco to have absolutely no love interest in her whatsoever. Uh, I don't think that would have worked. No. No. All right. Should we get into it? Yeah. What, uh, what is this movie about? How do we open? So we open with Porco being um, kind of living on this. He kind of work, lives in this like island, this island cove um, by himself, sitting in a chair under an umbrella, smoking cigarettes and drinking wine. I think I saw a little hut or house in the background. Presumably that's how he lives his days. Um, Porco was called to help save a ship being robbed by sky pirates. And also this on the ship is a, tour of schoolgirls, and the pirates have taken them hostage uh the schoolgirls are very funny um they're very charming i like them i uh, love them so much one of my favorite parts of the movie is just watching yeah. them it it there's a lot of like classic miyazaki elements in just the opening part of this movie there's you know the plane aspect you know from the wind rises castle in the sky there's flying which is in like all of his movies um sky pirates which i have been done in, in at least castle in the sky um the fact that the pirates are kind of like lovable um, or like have a kind of weak spot for children. Like they're, they're cartoonish, like kids movie pirates. They're not too threatening. They're not like, we're going to slit your throat, that kind of thing. Like they want to kill, but it's really downplayed. Um, they're just kind of like overwhelmed by the, all of the fearless, innocent young girls that they've abducted. Yeah, so they abduct, the, abduct these girls from a cruise ship, I believe. Um, and then it kind of cuts to after all the girls are inside. And they're treating it like a field trip. They think yeah. it's fun and exciting. And they're like, oh, we're flying. Um, and it cuts to a shot of the girls inside the pirate's plane. And they're kind of all over the place. And they're jumping on things. And the pirates are trying to keep them at bay. And the girls are just having the best time of their lives. Yeah, and then every they're not remotely phased by what's happening to them. Like, even when the, the pirate's plane gets shot down, they're like, we crashed. We're going to sink. They're, like, just yelling it with glee, running into the water and swimming. Yeah, and they're like, oh, this is great. We're part of the swim club. Like, we'll swim. Yeah. I, I 
this is the kind of thing that I, I would never get sick of. It just, it makes me so happy to watch scenes like this. Yeah. And that leans into, again, like the very cute, it's, it's like a very cute kind of moment because again, the pirates, uh, they're pirates, but they're not truly dangerous. Um, the only one they're maybe dangerous towards is Porco, but yeah. not even because he outsmarts them pretty quickly. Yeah. Or Theo outsmarts them later too. Right. Well, in yeah. this, I mean, in this moment, Porco oh, in pretty moment, quickly, yeah. yeah, outsmarts them. Yeah. Um, and then I think from there, uh, Porco goes to the hotel Adriano at night to see Gina perform. I think it's said at some point that he kind of only visits her during those times. She kind of waits for him to come to her and like other, you know, or well, we'll talk about that a little bit more, what she wants from him. But it seems like he's a little bit elusive, even though he doesn't, he still shows his face, but he, you know, not as much as she would want him to. Yeah. And the hotel Adriano is kind of this neutral zone between yes. all the pirates and all the seaplane bounty hunters. They all drink there. They all eat there. They don't, they're not friends, uh, but there's no violence there. Um, and it is here that we meet kind of the rival of the story. Yeah. And before we, we talk about him, I just want to note I'm really, I can't think of any other thing that does this off the top of my head, except John Wick and the, the, the continental bar where assassins are not allowed to kill each other. Um, but I like the element of like the neutral zone where all these people are not allowed to fight or hurt each other, even if they're mortal enemies. Yeah. And we should mention that the hotel Adriano, they show it in wide shots later. It's kind of just like its own building on this tiny Island. Yeah. And it like kind is of, the Island. It is the Island. And you kind of have to like land your seaplane there and, there's something about that that I love too, that it's this yeah. isolated but still elegant kind of resort hotel uh, that caters to uh, not just, you know, seaplane pirates, but there's other, you know, 1920s, 1930s flapper type, uh, you know, socialites yeah. who kind of hang out there and enjoy it. And it seems like a very relaxing, luxurious sort of place. Yeah. And I like the use of the flapper thing. Like Gina is fully decked out in flapper garb. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like the other pirates at the bar, just you get a sense they're angry at his heroics. Uh, I guess presumably maybe there might be other bounty hunters there that are also jealous. But you, um, one of the people who clearly does not like Porco is Curtis. Curtis, who I did not like at first. He is yeah. a, as we said, like a brash Southern dandy guy with seemingly too much money. Uh, he has kind of made a deal with the Sky Pirates to take Porco out. He introduces himself to Porco. Uh, I think it's both hilarious and annoying uh, that Curtis has a giant C on his belt buckle. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also has a C that is a curling snake on his plane. Um, but he just wants the, the world to know who he is. He is Curtis. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of introduces himself to Porco uh, and mentions how beautiful uh, Gina is and that he would kind of uh, like to date her wants to marry her uh when he meets porco doesn't he say he just arrived from proposing to her we see him in the background with gina yeah i or i i think that definitely happens in the english one i forget if it happens in the japanese yeah one. you see in the background he's kind of on one knee in front of gina and some of the other girls uh and it seems like he's proposing to her and she is politely but firmly saying no yeah her heart is only for porco yeah yeah 
So um, are we ready to move on for from Hotel Adriano? I don't think anything else really notable happens. I mean, there's a scene where Porco is eating alone and Gina talks to him. But Well, I would say the only two things from this. Uh, we learn that Porco is cursed. She mentions it very right. obliquely and then just kind of moves on. Uh, so we know that it is kind of not normal that he's a pig. Before this, it was just kind of a, no one makes a big deal out of the fact that he's a pig. Uh, but also she mentions, you know, I'm so glad to have you as a friend and mentions that she lost three husbands who were all pilots. Uh, and the way she says, I'm so glad to have you as a friend, uh, ding, 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 my bell went off. And I was like, huh, <laughs> you, you don't want him as just a friend. Ooh. Oh, and I believe here is where, uh, she kind of mentions that there's a picture of Porco before yes. he was a pig. Um, and that it is her favorite picture, but his human face has been crossed out. Probably by him because yeah, he seems to be really disgruntled. Presumably. Yeah. So I think what happens next is he goes to, he like picks up a repaired gun of his. And then I think the, the, the pirates raid a ship and taunt him uh, and like Curtis also. Um, and they, they're just kind of like saying, come and get us they're, I don't know if they're trying to kill him in that moment. Or I guess no, they, they they don't they don't all try to kill him. I think he ignores that taunt. He's like, I'm gonna go get my plane fixed. Goes to or starts heading to Milan, and then Curtis follows him, ambushes him, and, and shoots him down. Yeah, really quickly about the arms dealer though. Yeah, um, I I think something Ghibli does, which is really interesting and smart, is they take characters or archetypes that normally watching a film uh you would immediately have a prejudice one way towards but subverts them so i'm yeah. thinking like lady eboshi from princess mononoke mm -hmm. uh, on paper she's kind of the villain but they go out of their way to show how actually she helps a lot of like really disadvantaged people um and she really does have the best interest for her town in the same way when you hear arms dealer and there's kind of this talk of fascism and war um, you think arms dealer and you immediately kind of think like bad guy or villain. Right. And it's just this old man and like a little boy who's helping him. And there are like arms all around them. There's just like guns and bombs. And you would expect like a very seedy, you know, bad type character to be there, but it's these two. And so I think Ghibli does a good job of injecting kind of humanity uh, or complication into characters or types of characters that other movies would kind of make one note and write off. And we never even see these two again. Um, but yeah. it just, it's kind of interesting the way they, they do that. That's, that's an awesome observation. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I love it for the same reason. I'm glad you noted that. Um, yeah. So uh, he gets shot down by Curtis really kind of wrecks his plane completely. Uh, and Curtis takes a piece of his plane as a souvenir to prove that he shot him down. And we don't really see the, the immediate aftermath on, of, from Curtis's perspective. Um, we only are just following Porco the whole time. And Porco, you know, who survives that crash, and he somehow manages to get to Milan to go see presumably the mechanic he always uses to fix his plane. Yeah, and I think it's significant that you left out the details of the dogfight because, to be totally honest, um, I think they're kind of boring. I, I, um, I wouldn't say I would call them boring. I just, there, there's nothing in them that grabs me to the point where I feel like I need to say something about it. And I think especially for an anime, um, I think they do a really good job of representing what an actual, you know, post-World War One plane dogfight would look like. Yeah. 
Um, I think they did their homework. It definitely looks that way. But unfortunately, I think the result is still boring because mm-hmm. I think that's how they really were. There's a yeah. big, they show a big dog fight later in kind of a flashback that is also like planes just scatter everywhere. And he's like, it's the worst dog fight I was ever in. And I'm like, it doesn't look that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another anime would make it much more stylized um, and much more high stakes. Um, I think they went the route of realism, which Ghibli typically does. Yeah. Um, but I think as a result, all you need to know is you get shot down. The actual mechanics of it, I wasn't super engaged with. Maybe if you're super into planes of that era, you would be. And then later at the end, they have to literally describe how the dogfight is going for you, the viewer, to even understand. Yeah. And then I'm not sure I would really care one way or another if they made the dogfights a little more interesting. But it, it, it's true. I think it's just a matter of how interested are you in the accuracy of the realism of this or just in dogfights in general. That's not that's not why I'm watching this movie. You know? No, no. Um, so yeah, so Porco goes to see Mr. Piccolo in Milan and Mr. Piccolo tells him that he's not going to fix his plane. His granddaughter, Fio, will fix it. Um, so we meet Fio and Porco does not like that idea initially, uh, but she shows great drive and commitment and he sees something in her and she convinces him. Well, she says that she can't help that she's young and a woman. Well, um, yeah. So, so uh, let's talk about that for a second. So one of the differences I noted in the Japanese version is that like when he first sees Piccolo, I think he says he has a line like, who's the cutie? And then I think Miranda, my fiance, uh, pointed out that in the English one, she says, he says like, where'd you find the girl? And Porco has a couple lines too that he's it, it so, sort of sound like flirtation, like outright flirtation. Whereas I don't recall that being the vibe in the English one. Yeah, in the English one, he pretty much at no time expresses any kind of like romantic interest in Fio. He has good things to say about her, especially later, but none of them are based on attraction or romance or anything like that. And I should note that even though there was like a comment about her physical attractiveness by him in the Japanese one, I still didn't get the vibe that he was romantically interested. I think he might just be that kind of, I don't know, that dog of a man or pig of a man. Uh, who is just flirtatious uh, towards women. And I don't know. I, I never got the sense that he was romantically interested in her, but no. I thought that was worth noting. Um, yeah. So yeah. So Porco stays with um, the Piccolos uh, while his plane is being made. And Fio decides to make some pretty um, ambitious improvements, which she succeeds in doing. It sounds like, I don't know if we will ever really fully see, get like a confirmation, a verbal confirmation on the payoff. I think we're just meant to assume that she makes those improvements and then later they just are there. Yeah. The plane doesn't look markedly different when they're done with it. Yeah. Uh, Porco mentions later, like, you know, my plane handles better than it ever has. Um, but in the moment he says that you're not sure if that's true or if he's trying to convince a group of people or Fio, but the plane gets re- rebuilt, um, but they have to flee for kind of a weird reason. Well, before we talk about that, I wanted to note that two, th- two things that happen kind of between that. Uh, one, Mr. Piccolo has a bunch of women from the village come and work on the plane while their husbands are away. Well, they're, they're also all of his family. Yeah, all his, his sons are away out of country looking for work. 
Yeah, and it's he mentions at least in the English dub, like everyone who comes in, like, oh, this is my cousin, this is my aunt, this is my niece. Like, yep. they're all apparently members of his own family. Yeah, uh, I think that was in the Japanese one as well. Um, and so, yeah, so again, you know, Vio is helping build it as well. She, you know, she's very ambitious, and I think her design goes over budget, but Porco kind of has faith in her and says, go ahead. Um, even though he's kind of racked up a pretty large bill. The other thing I wanted to m- mention before they have to flee, I guess it's tied to exactly why they have to flee. So he is a former comrade of his, uh, I think his name is Ferrari in the English dub, but like Ferrarin in the Japanese one, um, who kind of gives Porco the heads up while Porco's in a theater watching a movie that the fascist secret police are tailing him. And and a noteworthy thing, uh, difference between the Japanese and the English versions that he says is he says Porco has a warrant out for his arrest and he lists some reasons why, um, like some charges against him, uh, one of which is treason, the other is illegal entry. And I'm pretty sure this wasn't in the English version pornography. Nope. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that's just left hanging there. Uh, there. That's not explained. And I. That was my least favorite part of this whole movie. Um, so unnecessary to say that. And it just, it, I don't want it to ruin my view of what, I think Porco is a flawed person, but I don't want to think of him as like a, especially not in a kid's movie. Uh, I, I don't want to think of him as like that kind of disgusting kind of man who is just like flirting with young, like underage girls and getting caught with pornography. Yeah, but this is also we we kind of have known this uh, based on like tidbits, but this is kind of the confirmation that he was once part of the Italian Air Force. Yes. Yep. So, you know, very soon after that, the uh, secret police try to surprise them. Uh, Porco kind of gets wind of that and then he flees with Fio. Um, Fio seemed very committed to coming with and ensuring that her plane flies as well as she designed it and she wants to come and feels this kind of you get a sense that she wants to kind of see more of the world and also be useful um in helping with the plane she's very committed to her work well and this is her first actual big like project and she wants to make sure that she kind of sees it through to fruition yeah um and i really like her character this this is like the moment where i'm just kind of like where she's just like i you know i'm coming with no matter what um let me you know find a way to like you know make a seat for myself in your plane like it's i really like it yeah and i think the voice actor in english um does an excellent job of keeping her very professional but upbeat but restrained like again in a lazier dub she would have been the super bubbly kind of anime girl yes um and the actress that plays her again i can't remember the name off the top of my head but she does an excellent job of you can tell just based on her voice she is young but she knows what she's talking about um, she has a lot of energy, but she's also very professional. Yeah. And, and as a quick kind of tangent, uh, related tangent, I guess, is that the voice actress in the Japanese version is also not kind of like a high pitched bubbly character either. Um, I, and I feel like some anime movies, TV shows kind of fall into that trap. There, there are certainly, there's certainly anime out there where there are female characters that you're meant to take more seriously than their voice actress kind of wants you to. Um, and I, I just don't, I think sometimes the, 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 the bubbliness doesn't lend itself as well to a character um, that in every other way does not exhibit that kind of like bubbly personality, but yet you get that kind of voice acting and it really, it's a weird contrast that doesn't work. 
Yeah, no, I love Theo. Um, she does an excellent job logically convincing Porco why it's a good idea that the, that she go with him. And then they kind of had this escape scene on the canal. Yes, that's a pretty cool scene for, you know, 1992 animation. I mean, it's nothing extremely special, but, I, you know, it's it's exciting. Yeah, it's watchable. Um, it's watchable. It's, it's I didn't watchable. turn it off. You know, that's my standard. Uh, no, I think uh, part of why there's that Ghibli magic, and we can talk about other moments later, but um, I think Ghibli, part of why uh, things stick out to me uh, is that they, they animate these little moments that they don't have to. Like, for example, they show the plane going through the canal and it's picking up speed, and so it's kicking up a lot of water. Uh, and they show sh- several shots of this kind of from the canal angle. Yeah. But then they show it passing under a bridge and a giant wave of water kind of washing over and just knocking a guy down on a bike. <laughs> I liked that. And him kind of sitting up like, what? And there was no reason for them to animate that. Like, we, yeah. we already, we kind of already have seen they're trying to pick up speed. We see the water kicking up. The fact that they just kind of slow down and show that, like, charming little detail, it's all the little moments like that. Uh, and there's another one coming up. And there's a million more off the top of my head that I can't think of. But that's part of, I think, why Ghibli, all of their films have this, uh, just these tiny moments where they slow down and they show some detail about what's going on that 95% of other studios, like Disney included, wouldn't take the time and energy to animate, but just makes it feel so real and is also so, like, again, charming. Well, what if what if the movie had taken a really weird turn where we don't follow the plane and we just instead follow that guy as he gets up and we find out like he had a really bad day and that really just made it worse and then he go kind of goes home to his wife and he complains about how some asshole was flying their plane in the canal and the wave knocked him over and he got a boo boo on his arm and then we just basically had another two hours of the movie that just had his character. I mean, apparently, Mia, apparently Miyazaki has toyed with the idea of a Porco Rosso sequel. So you never know. Give the people what they want. That's the sequel that we all yeah. want. Yeah. Bike, bike guy. <laughs> bike guy. So I don't know how you'd say it in Japanese. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, Porco leaves with Theo and stops to refuel. And I, this might be another one of those, kind of like quieter moments, but you get a little bit of like expository dialogue um, in that the guy who's helped at the the gas shop is, he tells him that a new fascist government has taken over. And I think you get the sense or it's explicitly stated that that kind of fascist uh, government has their own pilots and such. And that's kind of going to put Porco out of business. Well, yeah, they cut to Porco kind of at a bar and or shop where he's having some wine and the shopkeeper tells him like, well, the new government is either hiring seaplane pirates uh, to work for them or the seaplane pirates are kind of working for themselves and there are no bounty hunters anymore, which is what Porco is. So either you join one faction or the other and Porco says, I fly for myself. Um, Another charming detail that again, like any other studio wouldn't feel the need to animate is Porco gets uh, Fio a lemonade in a bottle. Yeah. And they just kind of luxuriate on this like one and a half second shot of Fio drinking the lemonade. And it's, again, it's just, there's no reason for it. It's just beautiful and charming. And she just drinks it down and kind of looks at the bottle. I love that so much. Yeah. It's like, it's all these little things, like these little touches that just make the movie so like 
again, like cute, charming, like great. Do you notice that in other, I mean, not to give Ghibli less credit, but do you, do you notice that in other kinds of Japanese animation? I swear like in some anime, I mean, there's sometimes anime that is very like in your face about like the food that characters are eating. But I think that I've seen other anime, maybe other like anime movies and such that kind of linger on things like that. Like, Hey, you know, this person just like ordered a coffee from a vending machine. Let's watch them drink it. Or this person just ordered at a really, really tiny insignificant cafe. You know, let's look, let's get a, get a couple glimpses at the food that they're eating. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know. I would have to think about it more, but there's something about the way Ghibli does it that yes, I, it's yeah, very beautiful. Yeah, I don't know what it is exactly. It's just the animation. It's the moment. It's the way it's shot. Like, you're, I think you're right. I think Japanese animation, and I don't know about cinema, but I think they have a more okay time uh, kind of pausing on moments like that than Western cinema does. Yeah, definitely. So um, meanwhile, uh, Curtis visits Gina at the hotel and asks her to come to Hollywood with him. Uh, well, so he, he wants to be president. He, he kind of breaks in and sneaks yeah. into her private garden. Yeah. He climbs the fence. Um, and yeah, Gina of course stays true to herself and says she can't go um, and admits that she's essentially just waiting for Porco to come and tell her that he loves her. He, she comes and sits in the garden every day. I think she says, and is hoping that he'll show up at a time that isn't, you know, at night when everyone else is there. And we'll come tell her that he loves her. Uh, and Porco does show up, but in his plane. Yes. Um, and kind of makes this loop-de-loop sign. And Curtis has thought that he killed Porco. So he's surprised that he's alive. Um, and Gina is excited. She knows that Porco's alive, but she's excited to see him, but also laments the fact that he did not land and see her during the daytime in the garden. Yeah. And we get a little tiny flashback of him and her when they were younger, I think in the time where he took her flying, or at least yes. it's implied that that's what she's having a flashback about. Yes. Um, would be weird if she was having a flashback about another man after she sees Porco, but um, yeah, so Porgo takes Fio to his home cove uh, and a bunch of pirates are hiding there waiting to ambush him on land. Yeah, seemingly like 400 pirates in his tiny like tent house. It's like a clown car. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, and, you know, Fio is, uh, because she is a female character in a Ghibli movie, is totally unfazed by this and is braver than everyone else on screen. Yeah, and again, this is where like the movie's kind of odd in that sometimes the stakes are very high and realistic, and sometimes they're ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Fio kind of talks her way out of them murdering her and Porco yeah, uh, so confidently, like it doesn't even yeah. occur to her that she could die. She just does not care. She's like, you know what? How about this? I got a better idea for you guys. Yeah, she kind of appeals to their sense of honor as seaplane pirates. Yes. And talks about how seaplane pirates are braver than either pilot pilots or um, people who go on the sea. Sailors, that's yeah. the word. Uh, because they're kind of this conduit between both. Uh, and she makes the Brad Garrett pirate, uh, who kind of represents all the pirates at that point, but who is the leader of the Mama Ayuto gang, uh, kind of wins all of them, including him, over to her side. Uh, and they decide, you know what? We're going to be honorable. We love Miss Fio. Um, and we will... Uh, she kind of says, like, if you want to fight Porco, do it one-on-one, -on -one, do it in a plane, don't ambush him at his own home. Um, and so they kind of agree to this. Um, and super creep, uh, Curtis is kind of 
really hilariously like wedged in the crevice of a cliff yeah. listening to them and I'm like <laughs> why and so uh, one of the pirates literally literally points up and says look it's curtis and i'm expecting him to kind of show up at the lip of the kind of you know yeah, it's such a with, weird like, the, choice with, yeah with like the sun behind him in this very dramatic way no he's just awkwardly wedged in this crevice and is like hey guys here i am <laughs> i love it it's such a weird choice to make. Um, I'd love to know that cho- I'd love to be there when that decision is made. Like, how about we just have him like kind of like climbing down like an idiot um, yeah. in the, like that chimney. So, yeah. So they, they agree to have a one-on-one fight, uh, a plane duel uh, and the stakes are made. So um, Gina in their previous conversation told Curtis that he only falls in love with the, the first person he sees. Curtis, of course, falls in love with Theo, who is only 17, and it's creepy. Yes. Uh, and Theo is repelled by him. But he names his prize as Theo's hand in marriage. Uh, and Theo kind of speaks up for Porco and says that her and Porco's prize will be the entire cost of repairing Porco's plane. And then, yeah, Porco accepts and then Theo laments that they didn't pad the bill before Curtis accepts. Yeah, she could have charged whatever she wanted, but she kind of forgets about it in the moment. Yeah. Um, she also has like a very cute human moment after the pirates leave where all of a sudden the fear kind of hits her and she's shivering. Um, and Porco kind of tries to comfort her, uh, but she decides to kind of strip and go for a swim, uh, yeah. which Porco is very anime embarrassed about. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's anime tropes or, or bad themes and such like the idea of just, you know, one of those things like, oh, like how about um, the stakes be uh, Theo has to marry this guy. And, you know, if, if, if Porco loses, like putting her, like her life is at stake, even though she has nothing to do with the competition itself is a little bit of like an eye roll, but she, you know, she's so confident in, in it and, and in Porco and she kind of just doesn't care. And you almost got to get, get the sense that even if Curtis won, she'd just be like, no, I'm not going with you. Well, and I think it fits Curtis's character that he's very kind of like flighty. Yeah. I mean, pun intended i guess um <laughs> in that just kind of like whatever is newest and closest to him he's all of a sudden interested in it like yeah so the fact that he suddenly falls for uh feel i didn't think it was out of his character i think it pretty pretty well fits yeah so then we next get a scene of feo and porco presumably the night before the dog fight between Porco and Curtis and Theo acknowledges that she knows who he is. And she kind of jokingly offers to kiss him to turn him human again. I got the sense when in both versions that this was not flirtatious. Um, again, maybe I'm just telling myself what I want it here. Um, but I don't know if you had a different impression. I got the sense that Theo has a crush on Porco uh, because she finally kind of sees the honorable person he is on the inside. Mm-hmm but that it is not reciprocated by Porco. Like Porco respects her, Porco cares for her, but Porco is not romantically interested. Definitely not reciprocated. And I would say, I guess you, I I acknowledge the kind of like the crush. It's just kind of like a a girl crush. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. Yeah, it's like a girlish thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and so, you know, he says that, you know, Theo kind of makes him realize humanity isn't as lost as he once thought. And he tells her a story, um, which is, an interesting story uh, that we see kind of animated. I mean, again, it has more planes and such. So if you're not into that, you know, fuck you, I guess. Uh, but, you know, he talks about how he almost died 
And we learn, I think we learn for the first time now that um, one of his closest friends, I think it's Bellini or something like that, um, that died, um, I think in World War I, was one of Gina's former husbands. And he talks about how when he almost died in this, I think in the same dogfight um, as some of his friends were being shot down, he started ascending into, into a world above the clouds. Almost like, he, I guess this is really just a, um, a visual representation of kind of the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing we're supposed to get, right? Yeah, and this is where he says he had, it was the worst dogfight he's ever seen. And <laughs> the, what I was thinking of today is watching these dogfights is kind of like when you watch a nature documentary and like birds or butterflies are fighting and you're like, I'm sure it's serious for them, but I, it's so weird and boring to watch. And they just kind of like flap around each other. Yeah. And it's the same way with this. Like, yeah, there are a lot of planes on screen, but they're all just kind of looping in weird directions. And you're like, I, they're looking at this, like as a still, I could not even begin to tell you if there's any danger involved for anyone um so you just kind of had to believe porco that like this was bad that people died uh that he was kind of the only survivor yeah and you know he he sees you know all these planes ascending i guess into heaven to world above clouds but then porco starts to descend and not ascend with them um so i guess it's not porco's time you know porco kind of interprets this as you know meaning that he was destined to be alone he loses his friends he's not meant to be with them and theo looks at this a lot more positively and says, you know, you're meant for greater things. And Theo, if she hasn't already, kind of cements herself as one of my favorite characters of this movie. Kind of, you know, right behind the head pirate, and then my number one favorite character of the movie is all the schoolgirls at the beginning of the movie. True. (laughs) But it it kind of implies that that's how and when Porco was cursed to be a pig. But it's like, like, I don't know why. And today I looked up, like, is there a myth in Japan about like, if you see the afterlife, you're cursed or you turn into a pig or anything like that. And I couldn't find anything. I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to like what might've cursed him. They just, they don't really care about explaining how it happened or even implying how it happened really just that it did happen. Uh, So yeah, so next time uh, we see these characters, we are at the finale of the movie, The Fight, which is just an absolutely delightful scene, if you ask me. Yeah, I I like a lot of it, um, including the dogfight, even though they kind of had to explain why certain things are happening or why certain situations are good for one pilot, not the other. But I love it. I love how it concludes. Um, Let's yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this is kind of a huge event on a small island. There are droves of people coming from all around, pirates, gangsters, cops, regular citizens, all docking their boats and planes around this island, which is definitely too small to handle all these people. There's just people, the overflow, their people are just on their planes and their boats and such. Um, I, I, I made a note to myself to make, to give more details on this, like visual details, because I love the look of this scene so much, but I, I'm not... I don't know if I have the vocabulary to explain it. I mean, there's, there's like a, um, like a big poster board um, up that almost looks like they're keeping score somehow, but they never really, you don't really look back at that. There's, there's flags from all different kinds of countries all about there's maritime, you know, flags and such everywhere. I think the board is bets. Oh, you're right. Of course. That makes so much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, and yeah, everyone's. This is like the event of the of the year. It's probably the most interesting thing that's happened outside of 
uh, Gina singing at the hotel. I mean, I didn't even know where the Adriatic Sea was. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, these people clearly found it though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, the two uh, combatants take off and engage in their dog fight and you kind of learn very you know they do that kind of anime thing where you have two people fighting and then you have people commenting on it and that's where you get your information about what those characters might be thinking um and so you have Theo talking to the head pirate and they kind of note that porco seemingly will not shoot curtis down yeah he does not want to shoot to kill I'm sorry. Well, he was, sorry. Yeah. He, does, he wants to shoot him down. He doesn't want to shoot to kill him. Whereas right. Curtis is just trying to kill him there. Yeah. There are certain times where Porco gets a shot, but the shot would hit Curtis directly. And yeah, that is not his aim. He just wants to take the plane down. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And you know, there's a little bit of comedy there and that, you know, the, they, I think they both run out of bullets and then they're well, both. Well, no, so, so significantly, uh, Porco does a lot of tricky maneuvers to get Curtis to waste his ammo. Yeah. Um, when Por- Porco does get the shot he needs, um, he his gun jams. And yeah. the night before in the cave, he had mentioned that the arms dealer sold him rusty bullets. Yes. And so then they kind of start throwing things at each other midair. You know, you get a little bit of that physical comedy where Porco throws something and then it hits Curtis, del- you know, delayed time later which as unrealistic as that would be it's it's pretty funny yeah and they're yelling insults at each other uh through the air which again is impossible but it it all of a sudden switches from this very high action moment to yeah this kind of slapstick comedy uh they both decide to land their planes uh and after hurling these insults at each other uh they get into a fist fight in the water yeah just kind of this like impromptu boxing match with rounds um or maybe it was planned in case they have to land um we should note that kind of meanwhile, um, Porco's friend Ferrari has came, come to warn Gina that she needs to warn Porco and everyone else that the Italian Air Force is coming. And so she kind of gets on a plane and heads to where the fight is happening. Well, and we should note at a very odd scene because she's receiving his uh, radio transmission. And then when she's done, uh, she kind of closes like a secret bookcase that was holding the radio, um, which just stuck out, stuck out to me is like, what is going on here? Like, is there something more to Gina? Was there a plot line that was cut? Like, I think the, I think the whole fascism Italian army plot line kind of doesn't work. Um, and I think maybe there was more with going on with that. And with Gina, like, I just don't She's know why. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why she has a secret radio. I don't know why they couldn't show her with a radio in the open. Yeah. It, it just, it's significantly very weird because nothing else in the movie hints that Gina would have a radio in secret. Why wouldn't it be on the open? It, it's odd. Yeah. So anyway, you know, they're um, engaging in this fist fight uh, and Fio's in Pico's port. Fio is in Pico. Fio is in Porco's corner. Uh, Gina arrives to kind of warn everybody. Um, and right, right around the same time that's happened, um, Porco and Curtis knock each other out at the same time. Uh, they both kind of go, get under the water. Well, but before that, uh, Curtis kind of tells Porco not even to taunt him, just to be like, listen, they're both heavily bruised. They're both heavily beaten up. But he tells him, listen, just so you know, uh, Gina said that she's waiting for you. Uh, yeah, that's true. And Porco, def- that, that definitely seems to reach him a little bit. 
Um, but it isn't until they're both kind of underwater, uh, knocked out. And, you know, the, and the first one who gets up wins, right? And Gina speaks to Porco as he's underwater and gets him to get up first. And so Porco wins because he's the hero. Yes. And everyone scatters. Uh, she's like, free drinks uh, on me. Everyone come to the hotel, which is, I don't know, is the hotel not in the Italian Air Force's jurisdiction? I, I, don't, I don't understand why the hotel is a safe haven from even like the government, but. Who knows? Also, I'm like, Gina, the profit you'll lose. Come on. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And so, you know, from there, all we really get is a is like a voiceover from Fia. Well, I mean, I should say, hold on. Very, very, very significantly. What? As uh, Gina and Fio are leaving, uh, Porco puts Fio in Gina's plane. Ah, uh, yeah. He's like, Fio get her is, out of here. is kind of fighting and like, no, I want to go with you. Porco says, no, go with Gina. Um, and Fio kisses Porco uh, yeah. one more time before they fly away. As Porco turns to go back to his plane, uh, there's kind of this look on Curtis's face. Uh, and Curtis is like, hey, what happened to your face? Like, let me see. And Porco kind of brushes him off and turns. And we never see Porco's face, but it's implied that he is now human again. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. But it, what's funny is that I cared so little about the fact that he was a pig. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just kind of didn't. I enjoyed him being a pig and I didn't really care if he became a human again or not um, that I just never really thought much of that moment. I just don't know why that kiss came from Theo and not Gina. Yeah. 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 But go on. Yeah. Porco and Curtis agree to help each other lead the air force away. Um, And then, yeah, we get a narration by Theo. She mentions that she never saw Porco again. Uh, at least she says that in the Japanese one. I don't think she says that in the English one. She doesn't. Um, but she men- mentions in both how she becomes friends with Gina, goes back to Milan. Um, she becomes the new owner of the Piccolo company, uh, takes over for her grandfather. And then she visits the hotel occasionally. Uh, we find out that Curtis became an actor and that Gina did win her bet that Porco would come and tell her that he loves her. Um, oh, um, no, 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 no. She asks, did Gina win the bet? She doesn't say he does. She that uh, in the English dub, she says um, she doesn't make it a question, but she says something about like something about how like she makes it. A, I don't know that she makes it a question, but at the end, she says it's like a secret I'll never tell. Yeah, she, she says that in the Japanese one too. It's it's, it's just kind of like a did they or didn't they? Well, I won't tell you. And and I guess notably, you see the garden, but neither one of them are in it. Uh, Gina right. or Porco and I don't know I, I assume that Porco and her went off together right also uh, really quickly before you move on uh, Curtis did become a movie star and they show uh, the poster for a movie he's in and what I find hilarious is that Curtis is drawn the way he's been drawn the entire movie but the female lead is drawn in a photorealistic style for like a 1940s 1950s movie actress oh, man, I don't think I noticed that and it looks extremely bizarre and I, th- I think it's supposed to be funny because i laughed um it looks like a normal human with this like studio ghibli square jawed weirdo um huh. and it's extremely funny i did not notice that i'll yeah. keep an eye out for that next time so yeah that's porco rosso yeah lovely yeah. movie lovely movie uh what do you think works i have a lot of things written down aaron um you know i I talked about a lot about what I like about it already. So I'll just kind of breeze uh, through those. You know, I, I like, you know, the opening scene a lot. 
Um, I love the pirates. I love, you know, love the, the school girls. I just love any time that those, like when ki- kids in Ghibli movies, especially very like young women, um, young girls, like in, like in uh, Totoro, they're just kind of like fearless and adventurous. And it's just so heartwarming to watch. And in this particular situation is played very much for comedy, but you kind of get the sense that like any one of those girls is one of those school girls could have been like the subject of their own Ghibli fantasy adventure. Um, I love the setting. Uh, I loved it more this time than the first time. I didn't really tire of seeing water and sunlight. Um, you know, the, the, the Mediterranean, I, I found it to be really, really beautiful. Um, I really, I like Porco's like his, his home, um, kind of his self-isolation home. Uh, I, I love the theme of kind of Gina, you know, dealing with loneliness and in loss and grief by seeking comfort in, in you know, Porco, um, kind of the, the last remaining tie to her past, presumably, whereas kind of Porco's doing the opposite and he's dealt with the guilt and the loss of Gina's husband and his friend uh, Bellini with kind of like a self-imposed, life of exile from society, I guess, with some exceptions, you know, the fact that he comes to the hotel and such, but like the true, the true, despite those like slightly more serious, like things like, you know, you don't have to even think about those to appreciate the movie. I mean, the true heart of the movie, I think is in something very playful and fun um, is a story about growing to deal with loss and guilt, but it's just, it's just so much fun. I, I just, it's such a heartwarming movie and I, I could, I could have honestly watched it for, you know, another adventure about Porco, you know, for another like 30 minutes or an hour, or a whole nother movie. Not that, you know, a three hour Porco Rosso would have been well paced and, and worked. It's just, I want to see more of this world. Yeah. I, for what worked, I'm going to go with pretty much all the studio Ghibli highlights. So animation, backgrounds, music, all those things. They're beautiful. Um, I, I did really like the characters, um, even the ones that were kind of one note, like Curtis. Um, there was still enough to him to make him kind of goofy and funny and interesting. Uh, and he does have a turn at the end that kind of adds some dimension to his character. Yeah. Um, I Again, I, I agree with you. I like the sense of fun. Um, I like that it's kind of at its heart, a pretty simple, straightforward story. It's relaxing, right? Yeah. It's again. And I would have to watch it again to really appreciate that because the first time watching, I just kind of want to know what, what was going to happen. But I think if I watched it again, kind of knowing that I'd be able to luxuriate in kind of the slow moments. Yeah. One of the other, sorry, I, I realized I forgot. I was going to mention one of the other kind of slow animation moments when they get to Porco's Island and they move the plane in um, when he's with Theo there's just this lingering shot on kind of the fish swimming around yeah. in the lagoon as he moves his plane in. And again, I was just like, there's no reason to animate that. You could have just skipped that completely, but they chose to. And I think, again, what works is just like really tiny touches like that, um, that make like, it's hard to describe until you've seen it yourself mm-hmm. to say that it's magical. Like, describing it on paper you wouldn't maybe understand that yeah but when you just watch it it's just this simple beautiful little extra piece of what's going on um that just adds so much yeah i completely agree um so that's what i think what works um in terms of what doesn't work i'll go first my Um, list is short 
<laughs> yeah, my, I mean, my list is short, but I think it kind of points out some of the things I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I think there's like some theming in the movie that I don't know gets fully expounded upon in the way that it should. Uh, like there's this feminism theme, like I said, that reviewer mentioned where there's talk of like, oh, if you as a girl, she can't, you know, build the plane the way I like. And then there's Porco talks about how when it's all women working on his plane, like I, you know, I don't trust women to do it. And even Piccolo, like when he says his prayer, when they have dinner, the end of his prayer, he quickly mentions, and God, please forgive us for having only women build a plane. Yeah. And it's just very odd because later he kind of acknowledges that Fio is actually brilliant and she's a genius, but then she gets damseled in the end. doesn't really do anything. And so the, like the feminism aspect, like it's kind of, weird and half-baked yeah um and it's the kind of thing where again translating a manga to and i don't even know if fio is in the manga but it's the kind of thing where something that could be that was maybe briefly touched on in the manga just doesn't work or if making the film they felt that they needed to add something uh and something to create conflict over fio and then it doesn't really go anywhere the other thing that apparently was in the... Sorry, did you have something to say? No, I was just going to say that you covered pretty much my only bullet point for this one. I mean, the, the other thing I was going to mention was just kind of any possible hints of like creepiness and maybe sexism in the Japanese version. Get that out of here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you I think you nailed it. The other thing too, in terms of theming is there's this, this idea of... Uh, Porco flying for himself uh, and that in contrast to the idea that uh, these nations are becoming fascist uh, and Porco tells Ferrari, you know, I would rather be, you know, a bounty hunter than a fascist. Uh, he explicitly chooses not to give money uh, when there's an offer made to like support our nation um, because they're fascist. And so there's that tension between like Porco who represents kind of he's free, he does his own thing and then fascism. But then in the end, Porco kind of does come around and realizes like he needs to be part of a society and like wants to help people, I guess, before then also leaving into exile alone. But then maybe he's with Gina. And it, again, it just feels very weird and half-baked. And apparently the manga does talk or touch upon fascism. One of the other things I was reading about the development of the film is that when they were working on it, uh, there were kind of uprisings and fascist goings on around the Adriatic Sea. And they felt that it was important to reflect that. So I don't know how late in the process that came. But again, it just feels kind of half-baked and they don't really do enough with it to make it matter or stand Mm -hmm. out. It's kind of this weird detail um, thematically that, yeah, I mean, obviously fascism is bad, but I don't really know how the final events of the film work that all the way around or come back to it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I don't think works is this, I guess, love triangle between Fio, Gina, and Porco. Um, again, watching it, I felt as though that Fio had kind of a girl girlish crush on Porco. Yeah. I felt that Porco and Gina had actual chemistry, but it's like Fio's kiss seemingly takes the curse away and in the japanese version i guess there's more overt things about fio and even in the english version piccolo mentions like don't touch my granddaughter it, it just it feels very bizarre um and i kind of wish that fio just remained there was no uh romantic or sexual interest or innuendo about fio at all 
um, because I feel like yeah. if if there's a romantic core to this, it's Porco and Gina. I'm fine with them maybe getting together at the end or maybe not. I think Ghibli does a good job of having romances that aren't tied up in any bow. That's yeah. fine with me. But putting them all three as kind of a love triangle, like even just suggesting it, I, I don't really think works. Yeah, I can get behind that. I, I don't need... I don't even need the Porco and Gina thing to work itself out. I mean, it would make me happy if it did, but even if it didn't, um, it wouldn't really bother me, which is why the kind of the ambiguity at the end is not too troublesome. The other thing too, that I kind of mentioned is the translation from manga to film. The explanation for why he's a pig doesn't really make sense. And he's constantly mentioning like, Oh, I'm a pig. When people kind of call it his bad behavior, and him losing all of his comrades would explain why he's withdrawn and kind of why he shuns mm-hmm. a lot of human interaction. But it doesn't explain things like his gluttony or like his womanizing, unless that was a trait of his beforehand. But are they attributing that to the fact that he's a pig now? Like, it, it just seems like very confused. And I don't know what he was like before versus what he's like now because he's a pig. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, again, like, I don't know that that works either. Um, I think showing him as a loner who kind of doesn't want to interact with people or fall in love with them. Yes, that works. But being tied up to him being a pig is kind of weird. I guess I never really thought about the whole pig thing too much when, when he would have those lines where he's like, yeah, what do I, what do I do? I'm just a pig. Like, I'm just like, yeah, he's a pig. Fuck it whatever but but then if you trace back to the reason that he is a pig is because he lost like his friends some of that stuff makes sense um but like Fio says like ah you're so pig-headed because he's so stubborn Mm -hmm. at some point he's like well i am a pig and it's like but what is you what what is you being stubborn have to do with you having lost your friends like that's where i'm like I, i don't know that this yeah, I don't know that that transformation element or like his curse, I guess, makes sense for all the things they kind of call out uh, for him being like piggish or his pig nature. Yeah, I mean, you saying this has got me realizing that I might need to see this again and look at it in terms of trying to get to the bottom of this curse because you're you're seeing a couple things that I, I might have missed some things about like hinting more about like how he might, like when he might have become cursed. I always just kind of thought of it as like he he was cursed at some point um and like it happened after like his comrades went down and now he's like this and i don't know if he's cursed because he has you know he's got all the you know woe is me it's my fault he's overwhelmed with guilt like he he needs to move on i don't know i I don't know if him being cursed as a pig is kind of representation of how he is kind of forcing himself into self a self-isolation um and like you know societal exile and so that's physically represented by him looking physically different than everyone else. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I never thought about it too much, but maybe. Well, I'll and I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, kind of thematically his curse is how he can't deal with grief. But then the way I saw it from him, like almost going into heaven too soon which is kind of what they imply is like, was he cursed because he was still alive and he saw heaven? Like, is that because there's all sorts of things. I'm not an expert in Japanese mythology, 
but like humans can't or shouldn't get glimpses of the spirit world. And so it's like, if his curse is grief, then why aren't other people cursed? But if his curse is like seeing a glimpse of heaven, that might make sense. Like mythologically, I don't really fully know, but then why is it tied up in all these other things? Like it just, it just seems very inconsistent and odd, but I also don't think that, you know, this isn't Schindler's list. Like it's Porco Rosso. Um, So, I mean, we can't analyze it too much, but it just stuck out as something I was like, "Eh." especially because the first time seeing this uh, part of why I wanted to keep watching is trying to get to the bottom of why he was cursed. Um, And then kind of finding it out and working backwards. I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, this doesn't really hold water. Again, like I never, it never, I never had a care to find out why he became a pig. Like, it's like if you had Oscar Schindler be a pig in Schindler's list and he's like, yeah, he just, I'm a pig. I was cursed. And someone's like, Hey, why were you cursed? He's like, "I, I just was. And then the rest of the movie is the same, but he's just a pig. I would be like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, but it would be like if instead of him saying, oh, I just was, it would be like him saying like, well, I lost a tennis match to, you know, John D. Rockefeller one time. And then it's like, yeah, but why did losing a tennis match turn you into pig? You're like, it's just these two things seemingly don't fully connect. I never even really thought it was tied to him, like seeing heaven at all. I mean, just it's it happened at some point after that and might be completely independent of that. But again, I'm I'm not really in the right place to to comment on that, and you shouldn't really give what I'm saying anyway because I I just haven't been watching to try to solve that problem or to to answer that or kind of make it more seem more consistent than it might be. I suppose. I just yeah. think this world is kind of crazy if you can suddenly become a pig. I so well, you know, is this a world you'd want to live in? Uh no. <laughs> no, uh, because it's the 30s. Fascism is on the rise. We yeah. don't have iPhones. There's no internet. Uh, yeah, no, thanks. Um, I guess there's an explicit afterlife, which is nice. But um, I'm going to say no. I, I did what I typically do. And my gut said yes, which is like, I want to live in this like bubble I've created for myself where I'm where I'm impervious to the the oppression of fascism where I could just like live on an Island um, or like be, you know, be a bartender or something like that. Uh, but, you know, I guess the true answer is no, I wouldn't want to live in the world of that game uh, or of this movie. I would say though, as a game, I think it would be kind of fun. I'm imagining kind of like oh, a, yeah. ro- like a rogue squadron type, like dog fighting uh, game. And then you could do like the on ground scenes, um, you mm-hmm. know, through cutscenes and things like that. But the majority of the actual gameplay would be him flying around. You could do like a big open world, the Adriatic Sea. You could have like yeah. almost like, um, you know, the Arkham games or Spider-Man games, like random events could pop up on the open world that you could choose to go like deal with or not. Like you could save a cruise ship from Sky Pirates or fly to the next story mission. Um, I actually think so. This would be like a fun game. I am imagining like cell shaded graphics. Um, did you read exactly what I wrote down? <laughs> I, tr- <laughs> I, I didn't. I, no, I, did I not. You, you couldn't have. I wrote this down before uh, you saw it or like I wrote it down like maybe 10 minutes before you started recording. I, I'm just going to read verbatim what I wrote. Uh, I said, give me an open world action adventure game for modern day consoles, maybe with cell shaded animation. A game where I can fly island from island to island, explore Milan, accept bounties, dogfight with rivals and pirates, 
and also incorporate the confidant mechanic from Persona 5 that lets me grow in my relationship with other people in my life, including characters that are not in this movie. And I totally, I, I had exactly the kind of thing in mind, um, like this, you know, sp- open world Spider-Man, uh, New York kind of game, like those more like op- more uh, open world modern titles. Yeah. And I'll throw in two things too. I think you could make money by doing bounties yeah. and through that you could buy like uh, plane parts from the Piccolo company and kind of modify your yeah. plane to your liking. I also think it'd be fun if every once in a while the plane would kind of sputter out or something would go wrong and you'd have to do like a mini game with Fio to kind of fix whatever was happening before Porco could fly again. Yeah. Um, I actually of kind of a lot of, actually, I think a lot of Ghibli films may lend themselves to games, but I think this one more so than most. Yeah. And maybe one day we'll cover the one video game that does exist that, was animated by Ghibli. Uh, very begrudgingly. They were not happy about doing it. Interesting. I wonder yeah. if that will come through in the game. I've never played it. But... Uh, they did it purely for financial reasons, but they felt that it was creatively bankrupt. Interesting. Were they Maybe they thought Goro Miyazaki was driving their company into the ground. Um, every interview you have... Have you ever read an interview with Hayao Miyazaki? Uh, are you referring to kind of how he shit talks his own son? Uh, he does, or he just, seems, uh, he just seems disgruntled. He is also the most gr- disgruntled curmudgeon I yeah. have ever like read. Like he does not seem like, I mean, like a lot of people who are, you know, at the pinnacle of what they do. Um, he's kind of awful. Um, like if you're at the top 1% of any given field, you're probably a monster in some way. Uh, because your passion kind of drives you to be an insane person, mm-hmm. um, which I think is where he's at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. What do you have for us in Fan Fiction Corner? Yeah, I was actually kind of uh, disappointed in how little Porco Rosso fan fiction there is. Me too. Uh, there, there is, don't worry. Um, but I was expecting like big, like Kingdom Hearts, Porco Rosso crossover energy. Damn. And, there, and there's not. Uh, there's not even a Sonic crossover. Um, <sighs> but there are some like really bizarre things that okay. I, I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. So uh, we'll start with, it's called Disappointed, lowercase d. Uh, It's by B, uh, B B-E-E underscore 13. Um, And I'm just going to read you kind of some of the tags of these. Okay. Um, One of them, and the one that stuck out to me was WTF Combat 2021. And I was like, is this a Mortal Kombat crossover? Because I also this weekend uh, saw the new Mortal Kombat movie. As did uh, I. Yeah. And I was like, okay, let's see what we got. Uh, the other tag, one of the other tags is don't copy to another site. Uh, and okay. looking at looking at what it is, I don't know why anyone would. Oh, it's, so, not, it's not the most brilliant piece of fan fiction you've ever read? Uh, it's not fan fiction. Um, it's just oh, a, sorry. It's just a photo collage of photos seemingly inspired by the film. So there's eight of them. One is an, is a close-up on the dial of an old-timey radio. Okay. One is a one is a mountainside beach. The other is old-timey pilots. Old-timey pilots cap. Uh the sea kind of swelling against what looks like an Italian seaside. An old-timey plane, some clouds, and then what I assume to be a photoshopped picture of a man but with a pig nose and Porco Rosso's mustache. That's it. That's it. There's no text. There's no words. I have no idea why the tag WTF combat 2021 is attributed to this. (laughs) Uh, It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, In terms of like a light 
tasting piece of like images that you could associate with the film, I guess. But I don't know why it exists. Hmm. Uh, I also found <laughs> this one is called the Plasmati and the Great Wizarding Wars. So again, looking for crossovers, I saw Porco Rosso. I saw My Neighbor Totoro. I saw Harry Potter. I saw Disney hyphen all media types. I saw okay. Princess Mononoke. I saw Spirited Away. So I'm like, okay, so this is a crossover between Disney and Miyazaki and J.K. Rowling. And so I clicked on it. Here's the summary. Uh, it's by Kashiji in 1997. Okay. Uh, so far too old to be writing this, if that's the year they were born. Uh, so summary, parentheses, Disney, AU, exclamation point, and Ghibli, AU, exclamation point, and parentheses. I assume AU is, uh, well, I was going to say extended universe, but I don't know what the A would be. That would be hmm. E. What is A? AU? Do you know what Probably that is? AU. I mean, that's an abbreviation for Australia. That Maybe. doesn't make any sense, though. All right, here's the summary. The two great factions of the Wizarding World, the Aurors and the Death Eaters, are locked in a fight to the death, both looking for the Plasmatius clan. Of course. Know. Oh, they're, the, they're Plasmatius. The Plasmatius clan. Again. To enter the conflict, who will prevail? Do the Plasmati, Plasmati even wish to intervene? Will there be any, any survivors? Parentheses. Expect a lot of Disney characters and many Ghibli characters as well, because why not? Question mark. <laughs> Uh, and then it's a really brief prologue that talks only about Harry Potter and then it ends and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was written in 2020 in July. There has been no follow-up. There are no Studio Ghibli characters. There are no Disney characters. There is a very brief prologue that talks only about Aurors and Death Eaters uh, and the Plasmatius clan. That's it. Well, maybe we'll see the follow-up. It was written recently. Maybe this was this was like a this was a spur of the moment. Someone got really high and they had this like, I know what I'll do with myself during this quarantine. But it wasn't recently. It was last July. Well, that's, I mean, like that, but that was still during the pandemic. Also, sadly, there have only been 28 views of this. Oh no. Uh, which for Harry Potter fan fiction, that's pretty low. Yeah. Um, so I found that. I also found it's called Over the Sea. Uh, this one I can at least kind of respect uh, the the like the purpose of it. Okay. Um, so uh, the character tags are um, suicidal thoughts is the main tag. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, here's the summary. It's called Over the Sea. Uh, it is by Oxford Roulette. Or no, I'm sorry. It's for Oxford Roulette. It is by Yuletide 2014. Okay. Um, so the summary, Marco had a quiet life with Gina and he loved it. The war came and changed everything. Marco, Gina, and Theo fled the rising fascism of Italy to come to the United States, but America is preparing for war too. And Marco is dreadfully tired of war. So it's not very long. It's only one chapter, but basically it's this series of vignettes that kind of describes at the end of Porco Rosso, like what happened? Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, for fan fiction, I don't mind that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it kind of goes through time. It's literally like separated paragraphs of the line, um, through different time periods, but then it gets to this, uh, let's find it. It's not very long. Gina was sick. It started when she lost her appetite. She went to see the local doctor and she'd been so powerfully healthy her whole life. It didn't even cross her Marco's mind to be worried, but she came back quiet 
and worried. She had a few months, the doctors finally said. The cancer was aggressive. <laughs> so we get a moment where Gina has aggressive Jeez. cancer and dies. Okay. Um, and then there's a funeral. And then very quickly it jumps to the, the last paragraph. Marco did not, or did return to the Hotel Adriano. His plane was fine and red and full of fuel. And when he climbed into it, he tasted the salt spray and listened to the raucous music of the engine. And in that perfect moment, when the hull pulled free of the water, the plane's wake changed from a churning line to the faintest brushstroke across the sea surface. For fan fiction, that's not bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. As Marco gained altitude and the world below became distant and faded, vanishing beneath the white. That's not a full sentence, but that's how it ends. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, we read fiction because the characters grow and change by the end, right? Or so, they get ravaged by cancer. Or if they get ravaged by, but that's growing and changing. The cancer <laughs> growing inside of her and I her guess. changing, her changing by dying. Um, so Marco at the end of this kind of pulls away and flies off into the sunset as kind of this loner. My question to you is how, how is this any different than his character at the end of the actual film? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, he just gets to live life and watches Gina be painfully cut down by quote unquote aggressive cancer. <laughs> um, so great, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the other one is a crossover uh, with, and I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to read uh, sure. what, what it crosses over with. Um, it's about Porco crash landing at a place called Academy City. Uh, and it's a crossover with something called A Certain Magical Index. I didn't know what that was, but I assumed it was anime. And it is. Um, it's a series of light novels that got turned into a manga. Uh, and it's about like magical. It's basically the X-Men okay. for, for manga and anime. But it's about these people who uh, live in this city called Academy City. Uh, and they basically have X-Men powers and use magic. Um, there's no reason why Porco would have to crash land there. There are no anthropomorphic animal characters in this series. Um, and it begins with one chapter and I think it was written in like 2010 and goes nowhere. Hmm. Um, so that's our roundup for fan fiction of Porco Rosso. Somewhat underwhelming compared to <laughs> the previous episodes we've had. It's pretty <laughs> underwhelming. I love the one that's just a collage of pictures. Um, I also love the one where uh, Gina dies of aggressive cancer. <laughs> so what would you have in your fan fiction? I think for me, I would, I'd probably be pretty boring, boring with mine. I just kind of want to see more adventures that he goes on. I certainly would like Gina to stay alive and not die from having been ravaged with cancer. Um, yeah, I was thinking about crossover potential and I think actually a character that would be really fun for Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Actually, oddly, yes, because at least Porco is an animal. Yeah. Uh, but no, I thought a Porco-Indiana uh, Jones crossover would be fun. That would be because really fun. They same, around of, the same time period. Yeah, they kind of operate in the same time period. I could see Indiana Jones, like a young one, kind of showing up in the Adriatic Sea. You know, he runs afoul of some sky pirates. He teams up with a Porco. Like, I could see there being a really fun one-off throwaway crossover between those two. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I had. Uh, I do think this world does warrant fan fiction because I think they do yeah. a good job of establishing just enough so you know kind of about it and the stakes, but setting up enough like settings and characters that are kind of like you said at the beginning, we kind of get like a snapshot of this moment in their lives. But it feels like all these characters have kind of more things going on and more stories to tell. Yeah. I feel like the Hotel Adriano is a very evocative setting. 
Um, you could have a lot of characters kind of pass through there. Uh, I think Curtis has more adventures in him. I think the pirates do. I think Porco does. I think Theo does. I think Gina does. Uh, I think you could you could flesh out these characters in like a fan fiction way. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Porco Rosso. I think we covered pretty much all of it. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on it before we start? Uh, I kind of, like I said at the beginning, I wrote it off as kind of one of those Ghibli movies that I wasn't really interested in seeing. And until the show, I kind of probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to see it unless they did like a comprehensive Ghibli watch. Uh, But I'm really glad I saw it. I think it was charming. I think it was fun. I love Michael Keaton in the role. Uh, I think all the acting is pretty great generally. If you're not super into planes, uh, I don't think it'll change your mind. Uh, But if you are, I think there's a lot to appreciate. And even if you're not, I think the characters do enough heavy lifting to keep it engaging and fun. Yep. I'll echo that and just say again, it's, it's a really beautiful movie. Um, so let's talk for a brief moment about Mortal Kombat. I probably shouldn't talk about it too long. Sounds like, cause that's the only thing I have written down for, uh, for our wrap up and what we've been watching recently. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say, I thought it was very fun. I think the closest thing it had vibes to was the, uh, recent power rangers movie yeah uh, in that they both had like this cheesy campy sense of fun but also okay acting and like Mm -hmm. okay action um i thought sonya blade was a absolute travesty but i thought everyone else was was pretty good Mm -hmm. i'll i'll enjoy the movie a lot uh well yeah we'll have to do an episode about it at some point along with the original yes i have a feeling i i'm kind of hesitant to revisit the original um but i will Uh, i I have a feeling I'm not going to like it. Uh, I mean, I didn't really like it the first time I saw it. Um, I don't really have a nostalgia for it. I expect I will, I will probably like it less on rewatch. Yeah, I think also in comparison, because I think uh, the 2021 version kind of corrects a lot of the mistakes of uh, the W.S. Anderson one. I'm sorry, especially with regards to Goro. Goro is kind of an awful mess in the original, but uh, I think they do a decent job with Goro in this one. Yep. Um, and a lot of, I'm sorry, a lot of fun fatalities. Uh, the W.S. Anderson one was kind of burdened by being PG-13. This is very, very much burdened. R. Um, and they do a decent job with that rating. Yeah. But yeah, it's a fun watch. Some good fatalities it. for sure. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, and what are we planning for next week? I'm very excited by this. I'm very excited too. We're going to be doing Resident Evil 4. Yeah, we have Resident Evil Village kind of coming up on the horizon. Uh, a couple demos have come out and will be coming out. Um, so I think it's a fun time to look at Resident Evil, especially 4, which is uh, a bit of a masterpiece. A very, very, very big masterpiece, I would say. It's a, one of my favorite games of all time uh yeah it's up there it's uh it's really good i uh downloaded the ps4 version uh today and i started the game um and i'm like oh yeah yeah this is uh it's kind of insane that it came out on gamecube for how yeah kind of revolutionary it was and for uh the graphics but i think it it holds up pretty well we'll talk we will we will uh we will get to that all right uh thanks again um and always a pleasure thank you